Amen. Let us uh, turn then to our hearing of God's holy word, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, we begin a new series this morning. That's page 1,262. 1,262 in most of the blue uh, Bibles under the seats. Uh, 1 Timothy. Second Timothy, Titus, Hebrews. And um, the letters of Paul are, are organized by size from largest to uh, shortest, longest to shortest. There are six chapters in First Timothy, but they are they are shorter chapters, and so First uh, Timothy is is much shorter than Galatians, which also has six chapters, but they're, they're much longer chapters. And uh, it is, uh, the books are not organized in, in chrono- chronological order, uh, but these shorter uh, letters at the end were closer to the end of, of the Apostle Paul's life, especially 2 Timothy. And so Paul and Timothy have have most likely known each other for many, many years at this point. And it is a letter to Timothy. There's many hints that the whole church in Ephesus is to be informed through this letter as well. And so uh, it is God's word uh, from Paul to Timothy, to also the church in Ephesus, to also the church of all ages to us. And we read the first 11 verses and consider the first 11 verses uh, this this morning. Let us hear the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now, we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, and slavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. 
so far, the reading, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, devoted is a strong word. There are not many things that we should be devoted to. Now, it is not as strong as the word worship. It does not go quite that far, but it is a strong word. And so, uh, this, this word devoted and its, its strength, even as it is not the same as the word worship, what an appropriate word to think about how we are to come to the, the doctrine of God, the, the word of God. Or let us put it this way. Uh, we ought not to parade the Bible itself in our midst as though we should worship the Bible itself. There is, uh, there's, there's a word for worshiping the Bible, uh, bibliolatry, uh, the idolatry of worshiping the Bible itself. Th- this is not what we want to do. We do not want to worship the word itself. But it is the word of God, God who is the one to be worshipped. And so it is the standard from him And so even as we do not use the word worship, we do use the strong word devotion. We are to be devoted to this word and to all that God has declared to us and laid out for us. We worship God alone. And while we do not worship his word, we are called to be devoted to his word. That's our our theme this morning. Taking language directly from the text. Our theme is this, be devoted to sound doctrine. And we're first going to look at a teacher and his student. As we're getting into 1 Timothy, that first point will be a little longer. Uh, And then the second and third points uh, a little shorter. Our second point is false teaching. And we see that especially in the middle of verse 3 through to verse 7. And then we'll look at true teaching verses 8 to 11. Those are our three points this morning. Well, we begin with this, a teacher and his student. Uh, Paul, the apostle, writes to Timothy, his son in the faith. Uh, but it's uh, not only a personal letter, it is it has relationship to the whole church. And, and the fact that the Apostle Paul emphasizes his, his office, his apostleship. That's one of the reminders that this isn't just for Timothy. Timothy, of course, uh, knew that. Uh, but uh, Paul is, is, is laying out uh, some, of the, uh, some of the official uh, offices that, that he has and, and the position that Timothy has. He'll get into as the letter goes. Uh, this, is, this is a personal letter, but it's not only a personal uh, letter. And so uh, Paul, the Apostle of Jesus Christ writes to Timothy, his son in the faith. And they are both under commands. They are both men under orders. Paul, as an apostle, is under the direct command of God. See that in the middle of verse 1. He is an apostle. How? By the command of God. The apostle was uh, this temporary office. It's called the foundational office in in Ephesians 2. It is the office appointed by God Himself. 
And so Paul can speak in a direct way as being one who is under orders, under a direct command from God, in an even a special way with his office of apostle. But then Timothy is also a man under orders. As I urged you. Now the word for urged there, it's not the same as the word for command in the middle of verse 1 in the Greek, but they're, they're both military terms. And they both could be translated with, with the English word command. I command you. I order you. And so uh, Paul, the, the direct servant of Christ with this, with this office of apostle directly under Christ's command is giving a command. I urged you. I commanded you to Timothy who is a minister of the word though he is not an apostle. So we have one man under Christ's orders and then another man under the apostles' orders. And what is his command to Timothy? Remain at Ephesus. Remain at Ephesus. Why? Because things are difficult. There are false teachers who have this different doctrine, the end of verse 3, and Timothy must be one who stands with the sound doctrine as it's called at the end of verse 10. Well, at this point, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, we're saying, all right, we have this personal letter. It's from an apostle. We don't even have apostles anymore. It's to a minister. Uh, most of us are not called into the ministry. Uh, what, is, what does this have to do with us? Well, as we go through the letter, uh, there's so many nuts and bolts for the early church that it's going to be uh, very plain how it relates to us. For this, for this first portion, it is little. It is, it is more directly the apostle to his to his student, to the minister Timothy. But brothers and sisters, we are all called to stand for sound doctrine. We are all called to stand on the doctrine of the Word of God. And this is how uh, the apostle says it in Ephesians uh, chapter four. And this is uh, one of the places, if you'll turn back with me, just not too many pages, to Ephesians chapter 4. This is uh, one of the places that in verse 11, we have that language about the special office of apostle. Uh, And so uh, Paul says there in Ephesians 4 verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And then what is... What are, what are those offices for? Are, are those such as the apostles and, and the teachers, are these the only ones who need to know doctrine? No, we are to all know doctrine. And so uh, moving to verses 12 to 14, we read this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Uh, brothers and sisters, we are, we are all called to sound doctrine. Uh, it is true, we do not all... Um, walk with Jesus for three years as the apostles did or encounter uh, Jesus in a, in a vision in the strike of lightning on a road to Damascus as Paul the apostle untimely born did. Uh, it is true we are not all called to a specific training to be minister of the word as Timothy had, but we are all called 
to stand for sound doctrine, to grow in sound doctrine, to not be tossed to and fro. And so uh, as we as we think of the, the fact that we, we all have a command to sound doctrine, we now zoom in on, on the particular call of Timothy. Timothy must battle for sound doctrine and against false doctrine in a particular way. He is urged, he is commanded to stay in Ephesus. Now, Timothy can be commanded directly by Paul, the Apostle, because Paul the Apostle has this foundational office. And this is not how it, how it works today. There's, there's not one man who, who, who can stand over all the churches and say, all right, uh, you minister, you go to this place, you minister, you go to that place, and uh, after you've been here long enough, then someone else is coming and you're going to go somewhere else. There's, there's no one person that does that. Now, uh, we, we, we uh, see the council of elders, to use the language from later in 1 Timothy, and the involvement of, of the whole congregation, like the whole congregation in Acts 6, choosing the office of deacon. Uh, we, we have the whole congregation and the council of elders involved, and it's not just one man saying, you go here, you go there, you go here, you go there. But throughout the New Testament, it, it was not yet that way. Uh, we have these foundational apostles and they have this direct authority to say which man should be in which church. And so, for example, in, in, in the book of Titus, uh, in the letter to Titus, uh, the apostle not only tells Titus that you know, you're going to stay in Crete for a while, but he also tells Titus which ministers are going to replace him when it's time for him to go. There's, there's no one person who stands over the church this way anymore. But at this foundational time, this is, this is how the early church worked. The foundational apostle could direct which minister was going to stay in which church. And do you know what Timothy's job was? Throughout the New Testament, in different places, and Timothy is mentioned in almost every one of Paul's letters at one point or another, the apostle Paul sends Timothy to churches where things are difficult. That's, that's, the, that's the brief summary of it. And so when there's all kinds of inner turmoil in Corinth, who did the Apostle Paul send? He said, Timothy is coming to you. When the church in Thessalonica was suffering from all kinds of persecutions from the outside coming upon them, when they had all of the struggles in facing that persecution, who did the Apostle Paul send to them? He sent Timothy to them. And when Ephesus, this is most likely after those events, when Ephesus is struggling with these false teachers, Paul sends Timothy to them. Notice then that the godliness of Timothy is useful for different kinds of difficulties. The inner turmoil in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 4.17, Timothy is sent there. The persecutions endured in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 3.1 and 2, Timothy is sent there. And the battle against false teachers here in Ephesus. Paul says, Timothy, you must remain in Ephesus 
in this battle against false teachers. No wonder that Paul said of Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, I have no one like him. Now, brothers and sisters, having zoomed in on the relationship between Paul and Timothy, let's now zoom back out and say, well, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? Well, first, brothers and sisters, let us simply be reminded that God's local churches on this earth have always faced difficulties. Uh, we, are, we are not at the great banquet feast of the Lamb rejoicing in perfect harmony with all of God's people from every tribe and every tongue. That hasn't happened yet. And so there's going to be all kinds of different difficulties within uh, the church. A second thing we learn is that when the church is going through one kind of difficult season or another, that is exactly the time when a faithful minister should stay. Now, what is, what is, the, what is the temptation of man? The temptation of man is, um, again, we're not sent to one place or another by a single apostle now. We have council of elders and whole congregations involved in various ways. And it's not exactly spelled out in the New Testament, and so different traditions of churches have done it slightly differently, and that's, that's all right as long as nobody says we still have apostles directing people um, on their own uh, authority anymore. But what's, what's the temptation? The temptation is when things are difficult, the faithful minister says, well, now's the time for me to go. That's the temptation. Or, or maybe the, because the minister is the most visible of the leaders of the New Testament church, doesn't actually have more authority. And we'll talk about that more as we go through the nuts and bolts of, of the offices of the New Testament church through 1 Timothy. But because the minister is the most visible, then when a church is going through a difficult season, they might point the finger at the minister and say, you should go. Uh, that's, that, that's a temptation. I, I know uh, an older minister who's been a counselor to younger ministers in his life, and more than once he has... I sat down with them and said, uh, things are difficult in the church and you're thinking now's a good time for me to, uh, to maybe even kind of look for another call to go somewhere else. No, this is the time when you need to stay. Uh, when, when things are difficult in the church, that's when we especially need to stay together. Uh, and um, uh, because uh, there are difficulties on this earth, there, there are going to be difficult seasons in the life of a church. If, uh, if God uh, blesses a church, and, you know, we think of churches that have you know, uh, 100-year celebrations as a local congregation. Uh, we're about a quarter of the way to that. right? As, as God gives a local church a long time, there's, there's going to be difficulties that come. Uh, but that's a time to be especially united. That's a time to stay, uh, not a time uh, to go. Now, this, is, this is the difficult pattern. This is the difficult charge that the apostle gives to Timothy. Now, how is all of this possible? Why, why is it that Timothy can be trusted for uh, difficult situations in Corinth or Thessalonica or Ephesus? Well, it all comes back to Christ himself. Why 
is any servant of God, why can any of us uh, stand in whatever kinds of seasons of trial we have, not only in the church but in our own lives? Where does it all come back to? Well, now we now we look at that language in the first two verses. It is through God our Savior, Christ Jesus our hope. It is when we're united as those in the faith which is directed toward God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have grace and mercy and peace. Paul and Timothy are not uh, greater persons than the false teachers. The distinction is resting in Christ or not resting in Christ. The distinction is having the grace, mercy, and peace from God or not having the grace, mercy, and peace from God. And we'll see that as we now come to our, our brief or second point and start to look at this false teaching. And uh, this uh, false teaching we see especially in verses 3, the middle of verse 3, down to verse 7. And uh, they have a different doctrine. They devote themselves not to the doctrine of God, but to myths and endless genealogies. Now, what are these myths, endless genealogies? Uh, it is uh, it is uh, this word for myth. It's a way to refer to you know a people's kind of origin story. And what did the Jews have? The Jews had these elaborate origin stories. Uh, there were times when the rabbis had very faithful writings anticipating the Messiah and those things were very useful for the New Testament church. But there were also, uh, there were also rabbinic ramblings. There were, there were just, uh, there were additions piled onto the holy and sacred history of, of books like Genesis and, and Joshua and so on. Uh, and so, uh, one example of this is the book of Jubilees, which was written before Christ was born. And, and what do we have in there? We have all these additions to what's going on in Genesis. And so the, the rabbis rambled on with these endless myths and genealogies, and uh, they claimed that it had heavenly authority. Uh, they added details to the story which made the Israelites look less sinful. So, for example, uh, Jacob is not as deceptive with his father and his brother. And they added all these intricate chronological details to kind of tie things together in symbolic numbers. You know, so this happened exactly 49 years after this or whatever and tied it to celebrations of Jubilee. And, and it, was, it was all this, this big scheme where it was this addition to uh, the sacred history of the book of Genesis. This is, this is the kind of thing that Paul and Timothy are standing against. There, are, there were some faithful things anticipating the Messiah that, that the New Testament church uh, could embrace from the roots of the Israelite tree. But there were some things like, like the Pharisaical laws that we're more familiar with and these rabbinic ramblings and endless genealogies that we're probably less familiar with that needed to be thrown away. That's, that's, the, that's the short summary of, of, what's, of what's going on here. 
the false teachers that uh, that Timothy must stand against. And how is he to stand against them? Well, verse five uh, is is uh, more straightforward. Uh, we don't have to think about myths and endless genealogies and, and what those might be. No, we we have. Uh, what is more straightforward in the command that Timothy has. The aim of our charge, and there again is this command, this, this even military language. Our charge, our command is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. What is a pure heart? Uh, David tells us in Psalm 51 that a pure heart is the sinner who acknowledges his sin and is cleansed by the Holy Spirit. What is a good conscience? Uh, this same Hebrew word is, is used in Hebrews uh, chapter 10 to speak about those who are conscious of conscious of their sin. It's a consciousness of sin. In other words, Timothy is called to examine himself. He's called to have a good conscience. He's called to be aware of his own sinful tendencies. And then a sincere faith. What, what do we do when uh, we, with a pure heart, would confess our sins. With a good conscience, would be aware of our sins. Are we then left in our sin? No. With sincere faith, we look to Christ who forgives us of our sins. And this, this, uh, this language takes us into our second point, where the false teachers are still uh, being uh, combated because... Part of the error of these false teachers is they're spending all this time thinking about these, these additions to the sacred history and they don't talk about sin. And we see that especially in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, if you turn over just a few pages to 2 Timothy chapter 2, it's right because we don't know who these false teachers are because we're not living in the situation in Ephesus. We kind of we have to fill in the details from some other places to, to make sense of, of, of the connection from verse 7 into verse 8. Okay, But speaking about the, the same uh, false teachers, so we even have the name Hamanaeus in verse 17, who's also mentioned at the end of, of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy, uh, speaking about this irreverent babble, verse 16, the apostle says plainly here what's, what's implied in our text. What is, what is part of this irreverent babbling group? What is part of these people who are, who are not rightly handling the word of, of truth? Uh, verse 16, But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Uh, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Again, we're, he's talking about the same group that was the issue in 1 Timothy At the end of 1 Timothy, we'll see the name Hymenaeus again. There's those who are making a shipwreck of their faith, verse 19, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Okay, so, so what's going on? A little bit of this is implied, but as we take the full picture of 1 and 2 Timothy together, we can, we can put it together. How do we move from verse 7 to verse 8? Here's a, here's a, here's a quote from the Reformed commentator, uh, William uh, Hendrickson. 
he, he speaks about how the reason why they wasted their time on all kinds of fanciful tales was that they had never learned to know themselves as sinners before God. So these false teachers, they, they're focusing on all these old rabbinic myths and they don't want to say anything about sin. Now at this point, brothers and sisters, let's step back. Now we, we, don't, we don't really know about the book of Jubilees anymore and these old Jewish myths. I don't think any of us has ever read the book of Jubilees. And you can find it on the internet if you want. But it's, it seems a little far removed from us. We haven't quite got into the nuts and bolts portion of 1 Timothy. So what does this have to do with us? Well, brothers and sisters, the book of Jubilees might not be what's used anymore. But are there any teachers who focus upon all kinds of fluff and stories and embellishments and don't say very much at all about sin? Does that ever happen? Is, is there ever a church where that pattern might be encountered? You see, the, the popular fluff changes. People don't really care about the book of Jubilees anymore. But people like fluff. And the, well, look, we can just focus on these, these, these genealogies and we can, we can really, uh, we don't just have Genesis. We, we have all these extra details about what happened in Genesis. And, and we can focus on that because we don't have to talk about sin. We're not sinners. Okay, with that in mind, what is the list of sins in verses 9 and 10? Is Paul saying, look, we know the law is good. And it's not laid down for the just, but for the lawless. For the disobedient. For the ungodly and for sinners. Is Paul saying, you know, the law is not for us. No, Paul's saying the false teachers who think that they are just, who are puffed up in pride, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 4, who just want to focus on fluff and they don't want to say anything about sin, they think that this list has nothing to do with themselves. And they might even be tempted to, to say that some sins are not sin at all. And do we ever see that nowadays? But we know that this list is for everyone. How does Paul say it a little bit later in verse 15? The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So what is the lawful use of the law? Well, there's more than one lawful use of the law. But one lawful use of the law is to recognize that we all need it. That we are all sinners. And we should not be full of fluff without ever talking about sin. You need to have a good conscience. 
an awareness of our sin, and faith that takes us to Christ. That's the movement of the Apostle Paul. Look at all these, look at all these sins. And he's not saying, look at all these sins and those sinners out there. Oh, those, uh, those, those terrible profane people and those terrible, uh, people who, who strike down their fathers and mothers, those, those murders, those, those sexually immoral, those, those homosexual, those enslavers, those, those liars, those perjurers. Oh, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Because it's, it's not a list saying, look at those people out there. It's a list saying, there, there are many things that God has said are sin, and, and we are all sinners. But he does not stop there. He immediately goes to the word good news. To the word gospel. Gospel, it just means good news. Whenever you see the word gospel, think the word good news. So the Apostle Paul is saying we must not be false teachers focused on fluff and saying that sin and language about the law is not for us. No. We talk about sin. And we acknowledge that we are all sinners. And we talk about the Gospel. And really he goes further into the Gospel in the following verses including, again, the faithful saying. This is for everyone to say. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. So, uh, brothers and sisters, let's, let's not make the error of reading the list of sins saying, well, that's not my sin, that's not my sin, that's not my sin. No, we're, we're to read the list of sins saying, well, I'm a sinner too. Uh, let's not make the error of, of, of ignoring it because we think we don't need it. Let's not make the error of removing some things from the list because you know we don't think it's sin anymore or whatever. And oh, there are there are so many attempts, especially a couple of things in verse 10. Uh, people just want to get rid of those words now. No, uh, this this is God's law, but we do not end there. The good news is Jesus Christ. He is going back to the language of verse 1, our hope. And so, uh, without fluff and an isle of sin, we, we teach all of, all of God's Word. We are devoted to all of God's sound doctrine. And it always comes back to Jesus Christ. The good news that Christ saves sinners of whom I am chief. A faithful saying uh, for each and every one of us. True teaching will speak about sin. True teaching will take us to Jesus Christ. Let us worship Him. Let us be devoted to His Word for us. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, our Lord, we praise you.